You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This program is produced in Melbourne on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders of the Kulin Nation past, present and future and recognise the ongoing struggle for justice, peace and land. In this week's episode, we are speaking about climate justice and I want to recognise the impact continued of colonisation, including climate change, to Aboriginal people and across the lands of all Aboriginal countries. Welcome to Stick Together. I'm your host for this week's episode, James Brennan. As we move past the federal election in Australia, I'm going to be speaking with some guests to investigate what the new government might mean for some different campaigns and issues across the country. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Alex Bainbridge, who's a member of Socialist Alliance and lives in Brisbane. His article that we mentioned in the interview is available on the Socialist Alliance website, and uh, I'll post that if you'd like to have a look through that. Uh, and yeah, just to mention that he lives in Brisbane, is speaking about some of the things that are impacting across Brisbane, including uh, the New Greens members in Brisbane and some of the campaigning that was able to happen during uh, you know over COVID when it wasn't necessarily able to happen in other areas. Uh, Before we get into that, um, I just want to also acknowledge that the Community Radio Network and support of the Community Radio Foundation allows us to produce uh, Stick Together shows and also to uh, 3CR and the other Stick Together uh, producers for all their work in producing great radio that informs, educates and agitates. Please enjoy the interview. everybody to stick together for another episode and I'm sure many listeners have been uh, you know celebrating perhaps or thinking about what the election kind of means for them it was a pretty uh, emphatic kind of victory for not just the Labour Party but I think um, a good sign uh, for progressives in terms of the Greens um, vote and you know the socialist uh, candidates across 
the country also had um, some pretty good turnouts for for those um, votes as well. But I'm interested in as uh, a question I just started to kind of really think about as the um, you know results from the election sort of come in of the days after the election is there's a lot of talk about this being a, a climate election and you know we obviously had the teal candidates uh, in a lot of the um, pretty wealthy areas in, in particular around um, you know Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne, um, but also you know the Greens vote is the biggest it's kind of been it's certainly going to have a big say in things in terms of the senate but what does what is actually going to look like you know I'm, i guess i'm interested there wasn't a lot of um information from the albanese um campaign necessarily on what their kind of government will look like. They went from a very small policy um, type of campaign after the failed shorten campaign last time. And thankfully, um, this article just popped up um, by Alex Bainbridge from Socialist Alliance about what it will take to make Labor deliver on climate action. And here I've got lucky enough to have Alex to join us to kind of talk us through what that may look like. Hi there, great to be with you. Thanks, Alex. I really appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that we'll be able to necessarily answer all of the questions of what Labor is going to do. But I think, you know, from a left perspective, I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, what do you think that can look like? And, um, you know, I assume that you might, your answer may have something to do with about social movements within it. And obviously that's been, you know, pretty difficult to kind of gauge where the public kind of is at with that over the last couple of years, a lot of restrictions on what a climate kind of resistance can look like, but we've still seen signs of struggle. And, you know, what's your kind of sense of what we can do um, under a Labor government to start this kind of discussion? And, you know, we'll see where we can go from there. Well, I mean, the, the first thing I want to say is I do think the election results are pretty good. I think like in the sort of realistic scheme of things, it's it's hard to imagine the results would have been much better than what they were. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely, if it's a choice between Labor and Liberal government, I definitely prefer to have Labor Party power. But I think the main thing that we, that progressive people need to realise is that is that Labor isn't really on our side when it comes to climate. Labor is really still looking after the big fossil fuel corporations. They're just doing it in a slightly different way to the way the LNP um, does. So what that means is they still need to have community pressure uh, in you know, multiple forms um, if we're going to see the sort of decent climate action that we need. Now, I think a lot of people are obviously, you know, we've, we've seen the bushfires, we've seen the floods, um, you know, we've seen, you know, the, the weird weather just sort of keeps on going. Um, I, I think that, uh, and and also, I mean, you know, we've got like, you know, like the United Nations head is basically um, making all these warnings about, you know, civilizational collapse if we don't um, take action um uh, earnestly. Even the Business Council of Australia has got a more ambitious uh, you know, climate reduction policy than what the Labor Party took to this election. Um, so I think, you know, I think that even what that shows you is that even the mainstream institutions of this society have got some kind of a recognition that at the very least they need to be seen to be doing something about climate. Now, mm. I'm, I'm very confident Labor will come in with um, with some mechanism, um, you know, like the, you know, whether, well, more or less different to, to Gillard's carbon price um, or else even, as has been suggested, repurposing the coalition's, um, you know, the coalition's policy, just tightening the cap. But I think the real, the real thing that people need to look for is the approvals of new coal and gas and oil developments. I think that's where the Greens have said the right thing to actually say that, you know, they want to they want to press the pause button on some of these big developments that would be devastatingly polluting uh, and haven't and don't don't yet have final approval or haven't yet started construction. Uh, those developments should definitely be 
uh, should be held back. And I think, in my view, uh, that's where the social movements are going to have our best chance to make a practical impact. I think, you know, one of the things we saw after the US election, you know, there was a lot of talk in the lead up to that about a Green New Deal and some of the more progressive um, parts of the Democratic Party were talking about the Green New Deal, you know, Bernie Sanders and um, AOC and others. But, I th- it, you know, I, I think for a lot of people after, you know, Trump was left office, it's sort of like, oh, well, I don't have to think about US politics anymore because we don't have somebody who's saying ridiculous things and, you know, kind of be stoking that kind of fire that can get, you know, not necessarily even just the people on the left, but people who may have some more progressive ideas. Is there a fear that that kind of thing is what's going to happen now? I mean, I think that we, Morrison, you know, the the person who brought coal into parliament is gone and we have someone who, you know, started off, I think, in a speaking the kind of language that I think speaks to what people want of a sensible government. Is that, you know, is there a risk that that's going to be enough to people to kind of get on with their lives? One of the things that I said in the article that you referenced is that people need to learn to judge Labor, not by whether they're better or worse or equal to the coalition. They need to judge Labor on the basis of how well their policies stack up against the kind of climate action which is needed in order to avert catastrophe. Now, for most people, and I guess I'm not talking about you know political activists that sort of live and breathe politics all the time, but most people look at politics in a fairly superficial way and they think, oh yeah, oh, Morrison was pretty bad. Oh yeah, Albanese seems better. Mm. He is better, no doubt he's better. But I mean, my very strong view is Albanese and Chris Bowen are not enough to avert climate catastrophe. And if people want to live in a world that has got a decent sort of future in it, we need to be pushing in every conceivable way to push Labor to go further than what they want to go. Now, I mean, you talk about US politics. I mean, well, Bernie Sanders and the Green New Deal is one thing. I mean, like, you know, that never sort of got implemented. But, you know, Joe Biden got in with a whole lot of promises and, like, you know, uh, you know made some changes, you know, re-engaged with the Paris um the Paris negotiations or whatever else. But Joe Biden, who a lot of people in Australia, including, you know, it must, must be said the Greens, like Adam Banter's sort of um, when, you know, in, in the wake of Joe Biden's victory, saying, oh, let's be more like Joe Biden. Sure, Biden's a better example than Trump. But Biden is still pushing for, uh, you know, approvals of new fossil fuel developments and like even the international um energy association has said there can be no more new fossil fuel developments if we want to have a climate future boris johnson again i mean you know you know conservative in britain um but pushing a more you know on the face of it a more ambitious climate policy than than the old scott morrison government but at the same time still approving new fossil fuel development i think i mean i think this is the key yardstick i mean anyone who is approving new fossil fuel developments is Mm. not taking the climate seriously and and as I said, I mean, it's 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 difficult because the media the media sort of try to treat people as just oh, oh well, yeah, Albanese is better than Morrison. True, he is, but that's not enough. What people need to judge Albanese on is is he measuring up to the actual demands of the climate crisis? And the bare roots minimum, the, I mean, the, the the bare minimum for that is no new um, fossil fuels, no new coal, oil or gas. It seems like the the Albanese government may follow, you know, what's sort of happened in some of the states, in particular in Victoria, where, you know, sort of build infrastructure and, you know, do things like, um, you know, fixing the grid so that we can, um, you know, pump people's like personal solar and and improve like battery storage and things like that. And clearly, you know, uh, despite the best intentions of the Liberal government to not meet these targets and do things, a lot of the, you know, as you said, bare minimum sort of being happened by states and, and individuals. 
Is that how you kind of see at the moment, you know, where Labor is sort of heading? And, you know, is this, you know, perhaps really slow burn, but it's potentially leading to, um, you know, being able to have a renewable grid at some point in the future? Look, a renewable grid, of course, we need that. Of course, we should be pushing that. Of course, it's good if there's more rooftop solar. Of course, it's good if there's people shift from electric, uh, from, you know, from a uh, from oil vehicles to um to fossil you know to, to electric vehicles but it's just a fact you cannot put enough solar power on your roof to counteract the 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 fossil fuel emissions of a huge carbon gas project um even every house in australia putting you know um solar panels on your roof would not be enough to counteract the massive devastating blow that that Scarborough gas project would have if it goes ahead now i mean one, one of the tricks that labor party tries to pull is um you know, they say, oh, well, like same as Morrison, like, you know, Australian emissions are so low, we're not going to count the exports of Australian fossil fuel. Australia is the third largest fossil fuel mm. exporter in the world. And um, and it's like, it's it's you're living in make-believe land if you think that, um, oh, well, as long as they burn the coal or the, or the gas somewhere else that's not in Australia, it's not going to matter. Well, it's, of course it's going to matter. There are... I mean, for all of the all of the counter arguments, like oh, well, poor people in India need power as well. Of course they do. But um, Australia has got you know Australia has got you know very high potential in both its wealth and its the and the the, the solar and, and wind resources that we got in this country. We should be 100% renewable you know, virtually overnight. And the sooner we do that, the sooner we can help export that technology to other countries as well. And that is the pathway to a to a safe climate future, or, or as safe as you know, as safe as is possible. Like that's that's the pathway to avoiding an absolute catastrophe. And it, like I mean, it strikes me that you know some of the conversations around you know even things like um, you know the amount of like the military um, contributes to climate change, and you know it's one of the biggest contributors in the world. Not even and, counted. Yeah, not even counted in 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 this. Um, you know that conversation seems a long way off to me when we are. I think, you know, like you said in the article, like we talked about, rightly celebrating um, a conservative government going. But when the um, when it's such a low base to kind of push to say we're not going to, you know, I think we might both agree that we're not going to get this change from parliament. So, you know, where how do we make that leap with the people to say, okay, well, that's great that we've we've had this um, election victory and we've been able to put climate on the agenda, but we need to be talking about, you know, making seismic changes to the military or to, you know, the way that, um, you know, industry is is running. And it's it's not, like you say, it's not necessarily about, um, you know, some wealthier working class people being able to put solar panels on their rooftops. It's, it's huge, um, you know, system changes that are going to have to make that possible. Yeah, you know, I mean, my friend and comrade Sam Wainwright, who um, who's a social science counsellor, was former social science counsellor in Fremantle. He uh, um, he basically said, "What we need, you know, in Australia is a social movement bigger than anything that we've seen since the Second World War." Like, if you if you sort of combine the Vietnam moratorium movement, the anti nuclear campaigns of the nineteen eighties, all of the women's liberation movement, all the sort all of the, all of the progressive social campaigns that we've seen since the Second World War. Combine them into one. That's the scale of, of the sort of social movement that we need to um to uh you know to 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 see it, to win really big meaningful victories on this sort of climate front. Now, just before we sort of had the COVID sort of close down in twenty twenty, there were moves in a number of cities towards climate justice alliances or similar sort of. Um, groupings that actually combined different elements of the climate movement. Because the thing is, there has been a lot of things that have been quite inspiring, like the the, the high school strikers, Extinction mm. Rebellion, a lot of other um, you know 
you know, specific you know, climate campaigns. And in a way, we need to sort of bring the power of all these movements together if we actually want to, um, you know, want to build a movement strong enough to actually to win the victories that we need. And just while I'm speaking, if I may add, I mean, your mention of the military, I think absolutely. I mean, military emissions aren't even being counted, which is which 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 exposes the lie of all the governments of the world, and most notably the US government, which has got the biggest military in the world. Mm. Um, that you know, I mean, their their plan for dealing with the climate crisis is to have you know bigger walls and 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 more you know more fighter jets and you know, bigger military to basically. Um, squash dissent and, and keep poor people away. But there's a there's another. Uh, I mean, when you think about the uh, one eco socialist, um, Ian Angus said, um, which I thought was a very interesting um, point he made, talking about the idea of degrowth. Like if we wanted to actually, you know, um, uh, reduce economic, you know, reduce current economic activity in a way that helps to actually you know, reduce the sort of global emission. Two very simple things you could do. Number one, abolish the military. Number two, abolish the advertising industry. Both of those are huge, um, use, you know, use up huge levels of resources. Um, you could get rid of them overnight and it would not affect any ordinary person's standard of living in the slightest. Like, you know, and you think about like you know, a huge reduction in emissions, but, you know, you and all your friends, the people you love and care about in the suburbs where we live, um, would not have, you know, would not in the, in the slightest way reduce our standard of living. The problem is power is still in the hands of essentially pro-capitalist governments. And um, that includes the Labor Party in, in Australia just as much as the LNP. I go back to what I said before. Of course, I prefer to have the Labor Party in power, not in the slightest. There's no hesitation in my mind about that. I don't think that they're equal, but that's not the question. The question is, are they on the side of the people or are they on the side of the big corporations? And the Labor government... Um, well, based on their whole <laughs> their whole history over the last fifty years, the Labor Party is on the side of the big corporations, not the people. And if we want action on climate and also cost of living and you know other things as well, uh, we need to pressure them. We need to actually build social movements and stronger trade unions if we're actually um, going to see the changes that we need. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, you know we've seen sort of um, the positive side of of millionaires over the last. Um, couple of weeks or, you know, portrayed in that way, certainly from some sections of the media with, um, you know, the AGL takeover thwarted and, um, you know, obviously um, Simon Holmes Accord and the Climate 200 um, supporting financially and, and through campaigning kind of tactics to support a lot of the teal candidates. Um, I mean, look, you know, I think if some of the millionaires want to spend their money on some of those things, it's probably better than some other ways but do you think that that still it becomes a way of kind of masking where that change needs to come from look the same uh, same as i said before i mean if if a, if a teal independent knocks out josh Frydenberg or a few other lmp front benches um, i'm going to be cheering them on uh good riddance to bad rubbish but i guess i feel like if uh, uh, to me i look you know the, the counter power to the to the corporate establishment we've got is the power of people it's not the power of you know, it's not the power of a few millionaires you know donating um, a little bit of money for whatever, whatever their motivations, whether they're genuine motivations or, um, or or not. The the real answer that the real answer we've got is is people power. And I mean, I'm I'm based in Brisbane, and we've just got the we've just got three um, new uh, Greens members of Parliament, and um, especially the Griffiths campaign is the one I'm most familiar with out of out of those three. Uh, that was not one on the back of any um, you know big billionaire or billionaire um, uh, you know donating money. That was that was hard work by you know, many, many, many people over a long, long time. And I think that um, that is a, a more positive vision to look towards. Um, 
then then you know, a few millionaires giving giving you know, giving a little bit of money. And I guess um you know what do you even though I said it's probably not where the big change is going to come from. I think you know it it is worth kind of pondering. You know I guess that um, Greens having more of those um, MPs as well as the kind of Senate. You know, what's the role that can happen there? Because I think like you just said there, I think the Brisbane um, you know that. That success has come on the back of, uh, you know, I think a lot of campaigning of climate activists over the last couple of years and obviously an extended period of time, but over the last few years of being able to continue to campaign, perhaps while others, um, you know, down here in Melbourne and Sydney and other places weren't able to do as much of that kind of campaigning on top of obviously, um, you know, the people either experiencing or really witnessing family and friends who's homes were you know destroyed or communities destroyed through climate change or the flooding and, and fires and things as well what um what impact can the greens have in, in that kind of way and you know i think not trying to always bring it back to this but if we if we don't kind of see that progress in in the um you know through the senate or you know they're blocked by the labor party not perhaps putting something positive forward are we as a left going to be able to offer something to those people to say join this movement because that's where we're going to have the change. Look, I am 100% uh, genuinely uh, cheering on the results of the Greens. I think this is good news for, for the entire progressive movement. But I am glad that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview the, the results of the socialist vote, um, both uh, down in Victoria with uh, Socialist Alliance and Victorian Socialists up here in, um, in Queensland. Um, uh, Social science got more than four percent in the seat of Leichhardt, our best ever Senate result in Queensland. Um, and even though it's it's still small biscuits in one sense, and it's not not yet enough to command the attention of the um, of the establishment media, it actually is significant that in an election that swung to the Labor Party and where there was a green side, the socialist vote also went up. And I I have long maintained that what we need in Australian politics is a political formation that can combine in a way the greatest strengths of the Greens alongside or combined with the greatest strength of the socialist left. And I think that, I mean, that's my view is that, and I think, you know, I mean, the, the Greens obviously have a lot of influence and I'm you know, massively expanded now after this last election. And um, you know, and at their best, um, there's you know the, the Greens have a lot of promise, and you know it's it's yeah, and it's it's been a good thing that we've had the Greens in Parliament um, all this time. I mean, at the same time, I mean, um, harking back to an earlier generation when the old Communist Party had um, tens of thousands of members at one point in this country, um, never the, the same parliamentary representation of the Greens, and of course they were always marred by their kind of um, you know, slavish support for the Stalinism in the Soviet Union, which, you know, which obviously undermines um, any you know, a radical social change project based on freedom. Um, at the same time, they were a party that understood that you're not going to get anything unless you actually organise, um, you know, organise social movements and organise a rank and file uh, voice in the trade unions. And they won significant influence in the trade unions in, um, in the post-war years. And they organised their members not to, uh, you know, not to sort of, you know, vote in a progressive change in the parliament, but to organise their members to fight. And that's the hard thing that, you know, it's, <laughs> look, it's, it's understandable that people in general, and again, I'm talking about like the sort of broad, broad masses of people, it's understandable that people look for easy alternatives and voting in Greens is, is a good thing to do, but it is also the sort of, it's the easy alternative compared to organising social movements and actually just, you know, the sort of industrial action, civil disobedience, when you're going up against, um, uh, you know, all the obstacles that that the establishment has got, you know, in their um, in their arsenal, um, that is a harder job, but is what is needed to be done. 
and I, and that's why so that's why I come back to what I said before. Like you know what we what we need in this country is a is a political formation that includes the the greatest strength of the Greens alongside or combined with the greatest strengths of the of the socialist movement. And even though local don't necessarily realise it, um, and you know you, you, you can certainly look at the socialist vote and sort of and be dismissive if you want, but in my view it is just a simple fact that the socialist movement has got something to bring to the table in terms of the social change uh, movements that is that is required. Now that said, okay, going back to your question about what, what can the Greens do? I mean, the best thing, I mean, the Greens obviously need to be a parliamentary opposition to Labor and they need to sort of pressure Labor and echo the echo the demands of, of the grassroots um, of the grassroots movement. But if you think, if you go back to like the 1980s when there was you know, uh, huge Palm Sunday uh, rallies against you know, nuclear power or whatever else. Uh, those movements were very often times um, led by, um, you know, essentially sections of the Labor Party left, either coming from the trade unions or from the Labor Party itself. They would pay for organisers. They would rent out rooms in trades hall. They would, they would, you know, they would spend party resources. I mean, and this is like this is when, when the Labor Party left. I guess, I guess, counted for more than what it does now. They would spend their resources to actually build those grassroots movements. That anti-nuclear movement in the 1980s that had a powerful impact, which lasted decades longer than people were. were, 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 were Sorry, we're mobilising for mm. now the best. What I what I hope for from the Greens, I guess it's in, in some ways they're up they're up they're being tested now, the same as everybody else. But I mean, in the ideal thing would be if the Greens actually use the increased resources and increased influence they've got with this sort of greater parliamentary representation to actually do some of that kind of work. Can the Greens actually put on some organisers for? The anti-war for the climate movement for the refugee rights movement. What are the what are the areas where um, you know we we can organise that grassroots people power, which at the moment is basically latent um, uh, and needs to be organised. And you know that's what I'm hoping for. And, and the best we can hope for from the Greens will be something like that. Well, I think that's a fantastically optimistic um, view of what we can do, Alex. And I think it um, it's probably a great way to end the interview in a lot of ways because. Um, I think that would be awesome if we can push the Greens to kind of have that kind of impact and it really, it will take a social movement to kind of push push them and to, in, you know, push the parliament to be able to make the changes that is not just what we might want, but like, you know, it's what we, the world really needs. And it's, um, you know, it can't really be on a more serious kind of um, position really, can it? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Good to, good to chat about it. Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for inviting us. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or through wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's James Brennan. And remember, wherever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. Until next time, stick together and keep safe. And just to leave us with the show today, you're going to hear some music from Radiohead from the Kid A album uh, released in 2000, Idiotech. See you next time.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.